All right, we're in a, a series of messages. I kind of lost count. Uh, Bob was telling us in our growth group this morning, I think we're on maybe 11 of 13, something like that. I know we have two more left after this, and that's it. And so, but we're making our way through uh, the book of 1 Peter. We broke it into three different units or individual sermon series, and today we're in the third of the three series, and this one is Unwavering Faith, Faith That's Rooted Deep Enough to Withstand a Hurricane. Faith strong enough to withstand a hurricane. Boy, if there was ever a year where a, a series was more appropriate than, uh, than this one, I don't know. Because 2020 has been a hurricane all in and of itself. It's even had some hurricanes, but I mean, it is a hurricane. And we need a faith that's rooted deep enough to withstand it. Today we're going to talk about pain and joy. Pain and joy. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you want to follow along, we'll be in verses 12 through 19 primarily. And uh, one of my commentators said that uh, this is kind of a thread, this passage, a thread that is tying together all of what has preceded this in the letter of 1 Peter. Several years ago, our son Lincoln played upwards basketball uh, for a a season. He tried that out, and I love uh, the upwards program. They do an excellent job. It's like a vacation Bible school of, of athletics. And, uh, and so they did a great job with it. He had a fantastic coach and a really super great assistant coach that worked with him. And Lincoln was trying so hard to make his first basket. I don't know who wanted Lincoln to make his first basket more, Lincoln or the assistant coach that had been helping him uh, fine-tune the technique to get that done. And on one particular evening, I had a funeral home visitation to attend just inside the Illinois border. And I knew it was going to be close for me to get back to town in time to see this game. But I thought, you know, if everything is just right, you know, if I, if I leave uh, at the right time, if my car is parked facing, you know, an out position, I don't have to even back it up to just head right out of the parking lot. If I don't stop for a soft drink or, or to use the bathroom along the way, if I don't get stopped in traffic or, or construction, I might just be able to make most of the game. Well, sure enough, I pulled into the, the Plainfield Christian Church parking lot where Upwards Basketball was taking place that night, and I hurried in, and I got in, I got to my seat, maybe, I don't know, 100 parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever, that had all gathered there for this game. And there was Lincoln out there during this warm-up time, trying to shoot the basket, trying to make a basket, his coach right behind him, kind of directing him and coaching him along, and all of a sudden, he launches a ball, it goes high up in the air with a beautiful, perfect trajectory, and whoosh, whoosh, right through the net. It was a beautiful moment. I was excited. I think the coach was the most excited. I saw him just smile and laugh and lean back and applaud. Lincoln got a very serious look on his face, and he turned around to the crowd, and he went like this. And when he made eye contact with me, when he found me in the crowd, he smiled from ear to ear. Because even though there were maybe a hundred people there, he wanted his dad to see him make that basket. I've never been so glad (laughs) to have arrived just in the nick of time for anything, I think, in my life than to get there just in time to see him make that basket. When you play to an audience of one, the whole crowd can hate you (laughs) as long as one person thinks you're great. In life, Christians are playing for an audience of one. We're out to please our Heavenly Father. 
That's our marching orders. That's our desire. That's what we've sold into. That's why we're born again. That's why we're created new. We have given up our old life, and we have, uh, we've repented of that, and we've come alive in Christ, and we have an audience of one. And it doesn't matter what the population may think about you. And the things that you do and the things that you say and the way that you think and your Christian worldview, they may hate you because of it. But as long as your heavenly Father loves you, as long as you are pleasing Him, as long as you're playing to an audience of one, and He's pleased with you, then you should be smiling from ear to ear. The cool thing is that God is always present. <laughs> he's never late, and he's never sleepy, and he's always watching. And I have to think that our Heavenly Father, much like an earthly parent, is applauding when he sees us doing what he's called us to do and doing it well. When he sees us growing in our walk and growing deeper in our faith and enduring pain and celebrating with joy, when he sees that in us, I have to think he says, attaboy, a girl, way to go. And the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, that He's put within us, encourages us along and makes it possible for us to please our audience of one. We have one audience member. And that's so important for all of us in leadership to remember. Whether you're leading a growth group or you're, you're leading one of our youth group uh, meetings or you're down the hall in kids' ministry, if you're on the stage or in the tech booth, we hope everybody enjoys <laughs> The worship enjoys the sermon, enjoys the lesson, has a good time. But we're not performing for an audience. We are the prompters, <laughs> the leaders. You're the performers. And there's only one audience member, and that's Jesus Christ. And we are here to please him. And here's the deal. Where you get your approval dictates how you choose to live. Where you get your approval in life will dictate how you choose to live. And this is so important for all Christians to remember today for so many reasons. One, while I love social media and I use it as a leverage as best I can to get the good news out and to communicate and to know what's going on in the lives of our congregation and extended family and so forth, I don't get my approval from media, social media. It's not the number of likes that I get on a post. It's the the number one like that I get from the throne room of heaven. I'm out to please my heavenly Father. Who are you out to please? Are you playing to an audience of one? All right, as we look at our passage today, the first thing is, don't be surprised, rejoice. In preacher school, they always teach us, don't, don't make a point negative. <laughs> All three of mine are negative, but they also offer a positive to go with it. <laughs> don't be surprised, Rejoice. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There is a purpose in our suffering today. 
God never causes us to suffer. He never causes bad things to happen to us, but he does have a way of standing aside and allowing us to be tested. But God, first of all, never tempts you. When you're being tested, understand that it is not a temptation. It is not a temptation. Number two, when you are being tested, it should not come up to you as a, a surprise. If people don't want to hear about Christ, then those of us who are his followers, we're probably not going to be popular, right? And that's something that we definitely need to remember in this uh, day and age, is that uh, in this life that we live, if we are truly following Christ, if we're living for him, and we're following biblical standards and mandates and Biblical values over human desire and popular opinion, then the populace may not like us. And for a a number of reasons that, that many of our growth groups probably talked about today. But that's not a surprise, right? In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, uh, remember the word that is that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. When you're one with Christ... When you're performing for that audience of one, uh, then you're going to reap the same kind of applause or disapproval that he, that he reaps. And when Jesus is that audience, we can expect that if we're living according to God's word, it's going to be uncomfortable for those who are not. So it's not a temptation when we suffer, and it's not a, a surprise when we suffer. And understand that it is also not uncommon the word koinonete is translated insofar. I like that. In fact, I will confess to you in English, I didn't know that was one word, insofar. Insofar is a word, insofar. The English Standard Version uses insofar to, to give the idea of sharing to the same extent in the suffering with Christ here on earth, to the degree that he suffered, in proportion to his suffering. We will share in the same extent or the degree in the glory that is to be revealed to us through him. The kind of glory that is indicated here is, is, is that happiness and honor that comes through the mediation of God's Holy Spirit. Remember that God has put his own Holy Spirit in us. Isn't that amazing? Imagine if you could do that, put your spirit in someone else. That he put his Holy Spirit in us. We receive his Holy Spirit as a gift at the time of our salvation. And then he longs for his own spirit. You might say it is a bonding uh, tool for him to have his Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit helps us pray by interpreting our prayers to God in a just-as-we-are kind of manner. (laughs) You know the, the right style of prayer is the one that's natural for you. <laughs> that's all your Heavenly Father. He doesn't want you to suddenly become someone else and, and, and sound kind of like a greeting card when, you, you know, the person who's giving it to you it doesn't sound like something they would say. And it's like, oh, that's nice. Oh, you signed your name to it. <laughs> 
Just like a, a, a grandparent that receives a card, maybe you've written a little paragraph off at the bottom. You know what they're going to read first? They're going to go straight to that. And your handwriting might be messy. They don't care. That's what they're going to go. That's what they want to hear. That's, they want to know from what you, what you have to say. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. And you know who makes that possible? The Holy Spirit. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalves with words we can't even groan. He helps us with our prayer life. He enables us to produce the kind of fruit, the kind of things that we do and the, the things that we say that are pleasing to God. We're able to do that because God's Holy Spirit is enabling us to do that. Galatians, book of Galatians tells us all about the fruits of the Spirit. And He is the sign and the seal of our salvation. If you truly are a born-again, baptized believer in Christ, and you're following the Lord, I want you to know that you're following him with his Holy Spirit living in you. That's a, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You want to know how, to, how good you'll have it in heaven, how hard you'll have it here on earth, it can be an indication of how good it'll be there, because it's a test. Earth is temporary, but it's all we know outside of faith and what the Bible has to say. Do you really believe in the reality of heaven? Is heaven a real place that you know that you'll spend eternity in someday? That you have the blessed assurance because of the blood of Christ, all sufficient to wash away your sins, and you've accepted that gift, and you've been born again into Christ, then you have the assurance of your salvation. And life on earth is fleeting, and it's very temporary. If you ever work on your genealogy stuff and you walk through the cemeteries, it's pretty easy to find a few generations of stones, and someday there will be a stone for you and for me as well if the Lord tarries. But heaven's forever, and heaven is for real. Heaven is a real place, and God the Father is there, and Jesus, his Son, who has ascended after his resurrection, to be with the Father, and he's preparing a place for you and for me. And if you believe in the reality of heaven, say amen. 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 And your life will surely show it. Because the things that we do here on earth, and while we try to get the most out of life, you only live once, as we try to get the most out of life and to love life, it, that's great and that's healthy, but we need to remember what really matters is where we're headed for all of eternity. I'm playing for an audience of one. And if he's pleased with me, heaven, eternity, going to be a great thing. And I'm looking forward to that. Um, but suffering on earth, the temporary suffering, of, suffering on earth for Christians is not uncommon. Who are you living to please? Are you impressing people at the cost of displeasing God the Father? If the whole world hates you, but God the Father is pleased with you, then you should smile from ear to ear. Because the one that matters most in the audience, the only audience member, is God. Christians had seen Jesus die on the cross and be buried. They lived with that seeming defeat for three days. As the old preachers used to say, I say it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. <laughs> And after his resurrection and his convincing proofs that he had risen from the dead for like 50 days, seeing him ascend into heaven there at, at, at the first chapter of the book of Acts and receiving the power of his Holy Spirit, they were unstoppable. Now, 
Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles come along and they're part of it as well. And they get to bypass. They don't have to become, uh, you know, converts to the Judaism faith to get to the Christian faith and so forth and so forth. And they're excited and they're included and, and they're part of that heritage because they've been adopted into it. And it's wonderful. But when the persecution came and the heat was on and they were scattered and they were dispersed and now suddenly they're back out in the world from which they've came and they're having to cling to this new faith. Not just their new faith, but faith that was new and for everybody. These are first century Christians. But I, I say to you today that I think we have it just as hard. Oh, nobody's putting oil on me and setting me on fire for my faith. Nobody's taking my children from me and saying to deny Christ or, or, or they're going to be harmed like, like some people around the world are still experiencing. But we who are Christians who believe in the reality of a very real heaven are oftentimes ostracized by the world. And the Gentile readers, they needed to be reminded of this, especially since they were coming along a little later to the New Testament church and, and they were thrust right back out into the Gentile world. It's believed that Peter had received a message, perhaps, kind of an update on how many of them were doing. And as he pens this letter, this holy and spirit-inspired letter that you and I have today is the book of 1 Peter. He's very much aware of their pain. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. Where? In heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Romans 8, verses 18 through 22 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the, of the, of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And Jesus had come to the earth. And he's changed things for those of us who have him as our only audience member. The next thing I get from this passage is don't be ashamed to glorify God. Don't be ashamed to glorify God. 1 Peter 4, verses 15 through 16 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It's an interesting quartet of sinners, isn't it? <laughs> Murderers, thieves, evildoers, oh, and meddlers. <laughs> It's a little personal for me when you get to meddler there, you know. <laughs> I don't think it's meant to be an exhaustive list anyway. Can you imagine what it would be like if you could predict the future and you could see who's going to win the next World Series, the next Super Bowl, the next March Madness? And let's say the winner is someone that you would 
uh, that most people would not expect to win. The underdog, perhaps. Now imagine that you start rooting for that particular team. You go out and you get the shirt and you get the hat. You make sure that everybody knows that you're for that team. You post it on your social media. You're a, you're a staunch supporter of them. And maybe they don't start off having a great season, but you go ahead because you know the future and you know they're going to win. And so you root for them big time. And everybody thinks you're crazy. And they make fun of you for it. And they pick on you for it. And they, they make fun of your team. And you just let them talk their smack, you know, because you know who's going to win in the end on game day. You become a face painter. You wear the team colors. One on one side, other color on the other side. And you cheer for your team. And they win. And even though people picked on you for it before, now they have to hand, it, hand you a, a compliment. You might say to them, or at least you're tempted to, you want to borrow my hat? <laughs> Because they start to claim, you know, I was kind of for them all along. You know, people like that, Fairweather fans. I didn't know you were, a, I didn't know you were such and such a fan. But suddenly, not until after the World Series. <laughs> not until after March Madness. Huh, I had no idea. But suddenly, everybody wants on board with the winner, right? After that big championship win, you see people claiming to have been for them all along. For Christians, the world's picked on us and made fun of us for 2,000 years. We've been ostracized. Christians have been excluded. Maybe you've been excluded from a party because people would feel uncomfortable with you being there because they know that you're a churchgoer. We've been persecuted. People have even been martyred because of their faith for 2,000 years. And I want you to know that 2020 is no different. But we know who's going to win in the end, right? I say it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. And we may look foolish to the world right now as we shout, Jesus, praise the Lord. I shout a hallelujah. And we lift that up to our Savior. And people are like, you're so weird. <laughs> and we're not allowed to talk about faith in some public places. And we're encouraged you know, to keep our faith to ourselves and to compartmentalize it. And, and not to talk about, you know, we don't talk about certain things, you know. And faith is supposed to be one of those. And we're kind of, we're discouraged from being who we are if it's conservative Christian values. But I know who's going to win in the end. And I'm glad to wear the name Jesus. And someday every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will be shouting that because we're excited and it's victory and we'll be praising the Lord. And others are going to be declaring it out of regret and it's too late and they wished they had been on his side. Be on the winning team. Get on the winning team now during the temporary while you're here on earth because the reality of heaven is coming. Colossians 1 verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. The Holy Spirit ministers special grace. Stephen had a dying radiance in Acts chapter 7. You remember the story of Stephen? He stoned to death for his, his faith. And while the men who martyred him were gnashing their teeth and blaspheming God while they're doing it, they're the ones throwing the stones. Paul's over here. He's not a Christian yet. He's holding their cloaks. While they're throwing stones at Stephen and they're killing him and they're angry. 
And they're unhappy. And they're, they're, they're breathing out murderous kind of, uh, of talk. But what's Stephen doing? Stephen was glorifying his God. <laughs> Stephen, who should have been the saddest in the whole group, seems to be the happiest, the most blessed. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. And they, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and, and they stopped their ears and they rushed together at him. And they cast him out of their city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. <laughs> you and I know him as the Apostle Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. He's following Jesus, see? His one audience member. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he passed away. Can you glorify the Lord? If you're so full of the Holy Spirit, even in your worst moments, when the persecution is on, when you are left out of the party, when you are ostracized for your faith, when the news media eats up the church, when we are not treated fairly, when rules are made for our own good, we stand strong because we know who we serve and we're out to please an audience of one. His name is Jesus. And that leads us to one final thing, and that is don't be disobedient, trust God. Don't be disobedient, instead, trust God. 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If you get a chance later on, you may reread verses 17 through 19. I, I like all that's mentioned there, and that, but then it ends with what we're supposed to trust to God. We're supposed to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Throughout this letter, Peter refers to those who choose to not be part of the family of God as being disobedient. That's the disobedient that he's talking about. These people who think they're good enough to be saved on their own, you know, people like that. They don't feel like they're bad enough to need a Savior. They're going to earn their way to heaven. And, and, and these sins that he's mentioned, they're stuck in those sins because they've not taken the grace of God and not accepted that free gift. In 1 Peter 2, verses 7 through 8, it says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they, as they were destined to do. Don't be disobedient. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's no reason not to. Don't wait till you're good enough or till you know enough. All you need to know is that God made you and loves you. And there's not been a perfect person walk the face of this planet except Jesus himself. And he wasn't from here. He had to come here from heaven. <laughs> and any sin at all separates you from our perfect God. 
But Jesus Christ came to the earth, Merry Christmas, lived among us for 33 years, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, ascended to the, to the Father in heaven. And he's preparing a place for you. He's expecting you. He's not willing that any of us should perish, but all come to repentance. There's no reason not to accept him as your Savior and your only audience member. He's counting on you being there. He wants you to be there. But he's not going to force you to do so. I've gone a little long. I need to mosey on through here. But when it comes to being motivated to live a life that pleases God in the midst of suffering, heaven is definitely a, a motivation to keep us shining. <laughs> but I can think of two additional motives. They aren't things that we get. Like, if you order now, you also get salvation. It's not that kind of thing. <laughs> it's things you don't get, all right? You don't get what you deserve. First, the kind of life that we live on earth can be blessed and not ridden with all kinds of heartbreak. There's a reason why sin is bad. Sin is bad because it's harmful to us. Parents, you set rules for your kids because you don't want your kids to hurt themselves. Our Heavenly Father has set rules in place because they're good for us. Sin is bad for us. And the most harmful thing that sin does is it separates us from our perfect God. Secondly, not only do we get to live a better life here on earth because we avoid so much of the heartbreak that comes as a result of sin... But we get to have the confidence of not just knowing we're going to a real heaven, but of knowing we're not going to spend eternity apart from God in a very real place called hell. I've seen studies on this where most Christians believe in a real literal place called heaven, but an alarming number of Christians do not believe in the reality of hell. Because it's harder to believe in that. It's negative, not positive. But I, I say to you that a firm belief and conviction in the reality of both heaven and hell will motivate us to be better evangelists. It'll motivate us to live better for God. And it'll motivate us to have more joy because of the grace that has been bestowed on us and that what we deserve, we don't get. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to so many long hellos with a lot of people that I dearly miss. But I'm also really glad <laughs> that I have the confidence and the blessed assurance that I'm not going to spend eternity in a real place called hell. Psalm chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave us the dead and who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
You know how hard it is to get your name on the Lamb's Book of Life? <laughs> it's kind of hard because you're the one that can, you're the one that has the, the, the right, to the, the privilege of saying, I want to be included. <laughs> and some of us are too proud to say, I want to be in that book. I want to please an audience of one. 1 John 4, 17 through 19 says, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. He first loved us. We are loved by God. This morning I want to close just simply by sharing the words to... um, Fernando Ortega's song, Give Me Jesus. Now, there's a lot of repetition, and I've left out the repetition. But in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I am alone, oh, when I am alone, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. Jesus. There is pain in the Christian life sometimes, but there is a joy to come that no words can describe for those who are born again in Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Father God, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for those of us, uh, Father, who have that blessed assurance of heaven, not because of anything we've done or not done, but because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross And because, Lord, you have so freely given it to those who will just accept it. God, I I pray for those who are kind of on the fence. Those who maybe haven't made life's most important decision. Either because of pride, they think they're good enough on their own. Or because of humility that has discouraged them to think that they're not worth saving. Whatever it is that stands between them and you. Lord God, I pray that they'll walk across to the other side, Lord of giving their life to you and living for you and enjoying their time here on earth with the confidence of knowing they'll spend eternity in heaven with you. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.